0: Hello and welcome to the Independence Film and TV Podcast, Colonels. I'm your host, Christopher Houghton. Our guest on the podcast this week is Jesse Armstrong, a man a lot of you probably know from British shows like Peep Show, Fresh Meat, or for writing the film scripts for Four Lions and In The Loop. But the reason I wanted to talk to him this week was about his new HBO show, Succession, which has just finished on HBO in the US and is kind of midway through airing on Sky Atlantic in the UK, so you should be able to track it down if you're yet to watch on paper, when I first heard about the show, didn't seem that exciting. A kind of Murdoch-style family who own most of the US media. I, you know, it was kind of of some interest to in me because I, I work in that general realm, but didn't jump out at me when I read about it in, in Deadline or wherever. But then I saw who was involved with it and the fact that the first few episodes are going to be directed by Adam McKay, who um, you may remember as the director of 2015's The Big Short, which is just such an immensely impressive film to me like it should it should have been a film about the subprime mortgage crisis shouldn't have been entertaining and funny but it was it was didn't take itself too seriously and it acknowledged that its subject matter was boring and played off that and it was just a really clever little piece of cinema so I, knowing that Adam was going to be on board made me think okay I reckon he can probably bring this to life and then to compound that Jesse was writing the script for it and showrunning it which was an intriguing and kind of unusual fit because it's a man who's kind of made his name writing about the sort of idiosyncratic nature of Britain, really, and growing up in, in urban environments in Britain. So for him to suddenly be writing about the New York elite, the 1%, was an interesting prospect. And the collaboration between the two of them definitely worked. Uh, Succession's, you know, been one of my favourite new shows this year and immediately grabbed me from the pilot. And it's just really very funny and kind of looks at conglomerates and elites from a different sort of perspective you know often these kinds of characters are portrayed as being bumbling idiots you know who've been found themselves in high positions because of nepotism or whatever but have no idea what they're doing and really should are only fit to be like sweeping the floors but that's not the case with these characters they're, they're all definitely smart the Roys this family at the head of this media empire but they just choose to be neglectful of their businesses or evil with them and it makes for an interesting dynamic and all the characters are very strong. So I wanted to talk to Jesse and find out you know, what it's like to suddenly be working on a big HBO show like that and what the, kind of, the role of a, a showrunner is when you've also got a director there handling the nuts and bolts on set. So I think we should just get straight down to it. Hopefully the videos of you haven't seen any of Succession yet. This will encourage you to pick it up and uh, for those of you that have, hopefully you'll learn a little bit more about how it was put together. The only other things to mention, I think, are we very briefly at the end discuss uh, the entire history of You, which was um, an episode of Black Mirror back in season one that Jesse wrote and which Robert Downey Jr. subsequently bought the movie rights to quite a few years ago now, but nothing seems to come of it. So we kind of had a little update on that. And the other thing to mention is the fucking background hum on this recording. There was some gnarly hum in the room where we were sat. So we've done what we can to... uh, eliminate that and or just kind of reduce it but that has had the unfortunate byproduct of uh making the recording sound very dry as if we're like conducting the interview from the ends of the earth after an apocalypse but hopefully it's clear enough that you can make everything out and uh you still manage to get something from the chat so uh without further ado here's me and jesse armstrong how you doing all right uh, not too bad how you doing yeah i'm good yeah. So um, yeah. Congrats on on, on the, end of the show. Thank you very much. I you know usually with these things they send me about six or seven episodes and sometimes you know you just watch one or two to get a flavour for it. Yeah. I ended up watching all of them in like two days. Oh, so obviously good. you must be doing something. Terrific. Something right. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking watching the show that like I'm I'm impressed with the fact that you know you're someone who wrote, peep show for so many years writing jokes about harper and harper and harper and bugs <laughs> and Miller corners and now you can write about. Americans in in upscale New York convincing, convincingly is, is it is it hard to jump into a completely different vernacular or
1: um, no well I mean the honest answer is is not, not not the that that part of it I don't find tough you know um, I guess coming up with the constructing the world where that 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 coming up with the show mm. um, it feels um, like a like that's that's a tough part of it the world building so the, yeah exactly cool. exactly and how's this what's this show going to be about what why might people watch it what do we want to talk about and and how can you do a show that can fit that into but but the actual writing that stuff you know I guess people it's you know I've written those very domestic y kind of situations but A they're still quite I think part of the pleasure of this show is that it's quite a, you know as they say granular detailed. Mm portrayal of that world so it's not it's not exactly Muller Fruit Corners but you know these super rich people have helicopter pilots who they favour and ones they don't like and they have meals that don't go as planned and they you know there's I like the textured detail of their lives and also yeah I've written a little bit about politics and and power and stuff as well so it's not a total um Go from total domestic into a, to a other
0: sphere, but yeah. Yeah. What was the what was the genesis of it? How did it come about? I I knew I read that you had um, a screenplay for a, a Murdoch thing looking right. around. Did it sort of was it born out of that? Or? It
1: was not. I mean, I wrote that about the actual real Rupert Murdoch. It's quite a weird sort of screenplay about the real family with them all named and they appeared in it, and it was I wrote that quite a long time ago now. Um, so I guess I knew about I knew about that family and that particular dynamic from a long time ago but this show was I think I guess I just started reading I think I read some of the Redstone's biography um, who who owns uh, you know Paramount and um, Viacom and and Mm -hmm. CBS TV network and then I read Disney a bit of a a binge of, 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 of stories about these families and you know especially in the UK with the press barons like Murdoch and Maxwell from another era and we're familiar with these media families but in America I mean the American TV networks ABC is owned by Disney which was a family firm so it's no a public company but the family is still influential CBS is Viacom and um, Summoner Redstone uh, NBC is the Robertses who own Comcast that's, so that's the big networks and then you've got Fox owned by Murdoch uh, then you have almost all of local TV is owned by a big right-wing family the Sinclairs and they're yeah. buying more of it you have like the Mercers who own Breitbart and did uh, were influential big in finance Cambridge of, yeah. Analytica yeah. so I mean the American media landscape is dominated by multi-generational powerful media families at the moment and but they're under massive pressure from Facebook, Google, and Netflix, but um, but it, it, I guess it started to feel like you know what? There's a there's a show here, uh, yeah. it, especially if you're interested in how the hell Anglo-American politics have ended up in the shape they have. Yeah, it seems like there's like two
0: sort of aspects to show. One is that that is that dynamic of a family being in charge of something. And the fact that's inherently comedic because it's in no way meritocratic, and you've got these people. <laughs> Zero qualification sometimes in these big positions. Yeah. Then the other one that maybe is sort of the show's hinted at in what I've seen so far, but not as far as is within the news industry itself. Sure. Which I think, obviously, because i work in it, I would sure. do. But I think it's fascinating because it's in such a bizarre period where it has like real kind of crisis of identity. Yes. Like, are we there to entertain? Are We there to inform? Yes. How much opinion should we have? Like, yes. Are we are we cool and and yeah. little or are we big? You know, old-fashioned prestige brand. Yeah. All these kind of things. Yeah. And the fact that it's changing at such a
1: rapid rate is like an interesting thing to explore, I guess. Absolutely, you know, uh, without wanting to unpick my own show too much, you know, there's a succession going on about who's going to take over, and there's also a succession, you know, you see in the mm. first episode, they're trying to buy a, you know, a, a sort of vicey, both feedy, gawkery kind of, we don't, you know, see exactly what it is, but that's the world that they're, they're trying to get into, and and yeah, those big media brands, I don't know, they don't know. What to do really in the mm. face of the disruption?
0: I love there's um, a line I think uh, Roman says where he's like, "Go back to making Uber for news or whatever it is." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hear there's a lot. I'm
1: sure you hear a lot of nonsense talked.
0: Then. Yeah, it's funny because it's like you know a lot a lot of shows and, and House of Cards have done it as well. I've, I've obviously sort of referenced the buzz feeds of this world and stuff, but I feel like we're almost entering a new period now where the whole kind of like quick viral hit stuff of that was you know everyone was chasing a couple of years ago is now starting to die out and now everyone's all all of those all those same companies that came up on cat videos are now being like now we need to start writing 5,000 word pieces and doing investigations again and being yourself serious
1: it's fascinating how it changes yeah yeah and it feels a bit like that in terms of podcasts maybe it's just the world that people are like things are pretty fucking serious I think I better get clued up
0: yeah
1: yeah and how did you come um, to work with Adam McCain? um i'd written i wrote a script for him about um american savage republican media oh uh, uh, yeah um political strategist from the 80s called um the outwater and that never went anywhere like a lot of things uh but so i stayed but i stayed in contact with them and then when i when i when this show looked like it was gonna happen um Checked out if he was interested and It's such a perfect fit for it,
0: yeah. Right, it's, it's,
1: it feels feels great to have him involved, and yeah, he brought. You know, I think it has quite a loose feel, and we he definitely encouraged improvisation and loose takes, and mm. something I knew a bit from from working with Armando, and so it was a really happy fit, I think. Who who came up with the uh, deciding to use the, the
0: zooms? That's the one sort of characteristic of the show that I think. Is different those kind of documentary styles
1: yeah well that's uh, yeah i mean the visual style is is adam's so yeah yeah he, uh, him and his dop um we were well, yeah watched a lot of documentaries and movies to to to, to refine the style
0: yeah and you're you're showrunner on it right yeah well, what does what does your job entail
1: as showrunner like <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh what, what is it to i guess it's like um you, I wrote the pilot in the last couple of episodes. You, I'm in charge of running the writing room, and then you have you have overall responsibility for the show. Really,
0: yeah. Are you there on set?
1: Yeah. A lot of directors don't like writers on set, do they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think that's maybe, maybe I don't know. I think a old. that's probably an older era. Nowadays in TV, I think often the writers around, uh, even in the UK. But yeah, and a showrunner is always would always be there. Do you get precious
0: about it? Because it's you know oh, about the words. Or just you know, the fact that it's your script and you've obviously already got an idea in, in your head. Is it, is it difficult? You know?
1: Well, you, I, you, Precious might be a pejorative way, I'm like yeah. really, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope not Precious, but certainly like very, very interested in yeah. we're doing yeah. everything. But mm, I think... No backseat directing though. No backseat <laughs> directing. No, no, we had brilliant directors and yeah, it's, it, it, without wanting to like sell you a line, it really is collaborative. I mean, I guess it, it can go wrong. Didn't go wrong for us, but it, when it yeah, it, it, it's a highly collaborative situation because I'm, I'm the one who has an eye on the whole arc of the whole season, and I know stuff that the episode the director who's coming in for an episode might not know. I don't have that time to fully tell them. So it's yeah, it's 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 highly collaborative. Yeah, and then a lot of the shows but not, not precious. precious about the words like we change the words a lot and it's improvised right, and, you know right. if there's a new way of doing the scene I'm, aware, I'm like always like this is what we thought would work let's do it and now if there's a problem let's address it yeah and
0: obviously I guess there's some shows you, you've worked on where you've more whether it's with Sam Bain or whatever, you guys have written the episode now you're working with a writing team is that fairly new for you or have you done that a few
1: times before uh, we did it on we had a, a team a bit of a small team on Fresh Meat um, yeah, and uh, and other writers on Peep Show, but not a, not a room. I'm kind uh, of fascinated by that.
0: I think most people don't really know how that works and how sure. you know a certain person's ends
1: up with the credit and sure. and how the work is dished out. And sure. you can you explain a little bit of that? So they're all different. That's yeah. one thing. So there's never you know everyone runs it and does a room slightly differently. Um, but ours, we you know there's always, there's the pilot written by somebody, usually the showrunner. And that's true in this case, so I write the pilot, so I know a bunch of stuff and then we uh, get together, you know between six and ten writers and talk a lot, talk about you know I'll probably have a, a pitch for where I, how I think the shush, the season and the show goes. but then we discover a lot of stuff and talk it all out, plot lines, character stuff, a lot of, lot of you end up talking uh, quite personally about stuff about family and stories stupid things funny things sometimes funny things turn into serious good storylines anyway so you get a load of stuff about the shape of the season which you all do together in the room typically then you as you say we say break the episodes one by one uh, and then somebody goes off and writes each episode but, but then then the, the room and myself come back into operation as we sort of polish and refine those scripts mm. um, do so, certain
0: writers sort of say, I feel like this is the episode like I should take charge of, or... A
1: bit. Yeah, maybe it's a bit more... It's a bit organic, yeah. I guess maybe you sometimes get a feel for, like, how that would fit that person. Yeah, a bit of that.
0: Mm. And then, I know you, you, obviously, you talked about having, like, read a lot of books about, like, families that are in sure. charge of these big organisations and stuff. Did you also have to do, like, a lot of research into, kind of all, like... Business and, and stocks and marketing and stuff because it requires such a knowledge of that it must be a bit of like a hard, difficult to get your head around sometimes. Yeah,
1: it, some of it is. It's, yeah, a bit. We had great team of uh, researchers and great team of advisors, um, and usually that stuff it sounds complicated, but uh, one company acquiring another, the the details yeah. of the of the. Varieties of stock and the variety, you know, the kind of um, all stock or all cash offer that people are making. Anyway, the, the details can be interesting, and I I hope we don't shy away from them. But it's not as can, granular as the Big Short or something, is it? It doesn't go right deep down into. Them. No, I mean in terms of its media, the media ownership stuff and some of the later episodes when it gets into. Uh, the, the, yeah, there's, there's a level. Of, there is a level of detail. I hope. I think it's all right. You don't need to worry about it too much. In the writers' room, as long as the big picture is right, this is yeah. what this is what's happening. The, these people are getting, the, you know, o- old media content brands are, are getting, you know, destroyed by those hegemonic monopolistic new players. And there's going to be a lot of consolidation in the market. Right? That's not the, you don't need to be a um, working at the Wall Street Journal to figure that out and mm. then and then and then but it's useful to know the details of how these things happen but but um, it shouldn't it, it shouldn't um, intimidate a novice writer who comes in and wants to do an episode but feels like they don't know the whole media climax we can we, we can we can always fix that with the research team available. Yeah. When you um, when you sit down to to write a script,
0: do you sort of wanna try and push through to the end and then go back? Or do
1: you take it more in stages? Well, on an individual script, yeah. Do I uh, do I do what they call a toilet paper draft, where I just type it out like Kerouac on a big roll of uh, again, maybe may too pejorative, but like, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere between the two, it's actually useful, I think, as a writer to have call it the toilet paper draft because <laughs> you, you know you've got these two pressures: one is like that it has to be perfect, and the other is that you need to get it done, and you have to find a uh, happy. And sometimes it's very it's useful to think this draft doesn't matter uh, actually when I write I, I tend to take quite a lot of care on, on my first draft I mean, so it's not unusual for bits to remain in the final um, piece that, that I wrote in the first draft yeah I was thinking about kind of the moments that feel a bit
0: sort of like kind of randomly injected whether it's like a the scene I like it—the the scene where was uh, like, let's take our shirts off. It's just, okay. Like, happens. Or with a bit as a scene where Greg uh, comes into work with his lunch in a in a dog food bag. And stuff. Oh yeah. Do those those kind of things? Do they? Are they I always imagine that they're more they're more likely to things that are going to come into your head in the real world as you wander around. Sure. And then you kind of put them in a little in a pocket and are like right. I'd I'd use that rather than you know when you're sitting there writing through. There's something bizarre like that
1: comes to you. Is that how it works? for you? Yeah, or? sure. You do if you keep a notebook or even a mental notebook. Um, uh, they, uh, I think those are two good examples. I think the shirts off was something that came out either of rehearsal or um, or in the room, and the dog poop battle so I think was something which I thought well, that would be uh, that would be weird if you ended up. Taking food home—it's something disgusting about dog poop bags yeah, before yeah. they've got dog shit in them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So that—that's yeah, something I wanted to in. It's cool that we
0: could come up in rehearsals at that late stage someone might just think about. Yeah, yeah. And um, with the with the the Roy family, I I really like all the characters. I feel like I warm to them, not warm to them—they're <laughs> not particularly warm people. Sure. But like, I engage with them quite quickly, and I really like. I think Tom's a really great character in the yeah. way he's got—he's so downtrodden that the only person he can shit on is Greg so yeah, he does Yeah. Um, uh, but I was kind of thinking that in the, in the same way that a certain president right now doesn't, I don't think actually really has any political beliefs and just yes. wants to wants to win and be popular and, yeah. and if he had to run as a democrat he probably would Yeah. I, similarly with them I get the sense that they're sort of quite apolitical and obviously it would serve their interest to be republican but actually they just want to be in control and win and they're not actually particularly bothered about Pushing, maybe Logan more so, but not actually bothered about pushing a pushing a political agenda. They just want to do
1: whatever's going to make the most the most success. Yeah, I guess that's true. And you you know, of those of those big media families I mentioned before, some are nominally Republican, some are nominally Democrat, and I I guess I'd have two views on that. One is that that's. I think you're right to some degree in the analysis. On the other, from a sort of a left perspective, that's, that's, that's part of the... You would say that's part of the problem, right? Because mm. they've got a deeply ingrained pro-business, free enterprise view of the world which is going to lead to a very unequal society and that's just, that's just what they take as red. And they, you're right that they could stick a different political label on that, but they they do have some strongly held principles about how um, an economy should work. So so I wouldn't I wouldn't be I wouldn't I wouldn't say that they are apolitical. It's just that there is there is a form of politics which is amenable. To, the, to, the, to their view of society which you could stick either label on.
0: Yeah and also like mm. having no regard for ethics or stance and those kind of things is in and of itself kind of right wing isn't it? Like, well I, yeah, yeah. That I,
1: I you know I don't know it's it certainly that's, a, that's a, a form of macho business kind of culture I, w- I would say isn't it the kind of Big dick competition—you've got to fuck over your opponent, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I—I I, I don't know whether I'm—I'm I'm from the left, but that's—that's n- that's not necessarily inherent within conservatism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, so, so I don't think you could—you don't—I don't think you could be nut, I don't think it'd be impossible to be an ethical right-wing person.
0: Yeah, it's a difficult time to be a leftist at the moment, isn't it? Uh, like I am myself, but. It just feels like it's such a in America particularly, you know. There's just there's, it feels like there's no coherent message. It's 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 a very strange time. It's the, the, the right the right is dominant, and it feels like the left doesn't really know how to how to combat combat it.
1: Yeah, I get. I guess the, there's there's the cultural generalized small p political response, which feels quite. Clear in its response, but yeah, in terms of organised, the Democratic Party doesn't seem to have um, doesn't seem to be in a, be in a position where it's uh, able to articulate a clear alternative. I guess that's true. Mm. Yeah, I feel that it's gonna
0: it's gonna run so anti-Trump and so far in the other direction. It's gonna push people more towards him, but we shall we shall see. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A question I'm 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 going to start like over the next year, trying to ask every sort of screenwriter I talk to is just, where do you write? And then I want to kind of collect them all in little. Sure. So presuming you're not in in a writer's room, you're just maybe you're you're at home or wherever you're comfortable. Where do you write? What does your workstation look like? Do you have like a cup of tea? Is there like a a view? What's the
1: deal? I write. uh, So I always write on my own. You know, the writer's room is really useful, but that's for generating ideas and never never try and write. A, 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 a piece of dialogue or a scene in the writer's room, um, and I have uh, an office in Brixton, and it's quite empty of entertainment. Doesn't have Wi-Fi. I think that's important yeah. for me, and uh, it has a coffee machine, and it's quite nice and light. And it does have a little window. No plants, oh, no responsibilities. <laughs> don't want any responsibilities in there.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> plants are just weirdly stress inducing. Exactly. All those things like. <laughs> and just finally, um, the entire history of you, yeah. um, which you wrote, I, I, like. You know, Black Mirror has gone on such amazing things, and you know, got these huge Netflix budgets now. But I think it's still probably my favourite episode, and certainly favourite script. I was wondering if you were involved in its, um, in its sale in any way, that the film rights. Wise, and if you know what's happening with it because it was obviously like quite a,
1: a cool story but it's been a few years now yeah so I was involved with that I think uh, I had the idea for it and Charlie and Annabelle were kind enough to l- give me the rights so I was like was able to do what I wanted with it and we sold it but nothing happened i developed it for a while and it was what a sort of Hollywood you know drawn-out development process that went nowhere so it's yeah it's it's in what you want, whatever you want to say, development hell, or yeah. just not
0: happening. It's strange because there's, there's been quite a few films lately that have been in that wheelhouse as well. Sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think w- when I tried to do it, it a, to try and change the scale of it, I think something would have got lost. You know, it's quite a domestic. Yeah, very much so. Small-scale story. You could, you, if, as soon as you started trying to make something quite bigger out of it, it kind of felt like it might fall apart in your hands what the what the actual thing was so in a way I feel like like you um, i like I like um, I like the TV version so I'm quite yeah. it doesn't it doesn't eat me up that it hasn't got made into a movie because I'm not sure
0: yeah it would be the, te- the technology in the film the chip just serves to kind of boost the necessities yeah it? exactly Play out more arguments. going into the backstory of the the the, the
1: microchip and the company yeah. wouldn't really
0: make sense
1: yeah, yeah, you could you could imagine doing that story, and I have imagined it <laughs> at yeah. length. Um, it'd be possible, but but yeah, I think you would lose a certain something. Cool. All
0: right, well, thanks for your time today. Not and at all. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I hope you go on some more seasons. Oh, I'm thank you.
1: So good. Yeah, well, they've, they've said we're going to do another season, so we're, but that's going to happen. Great. All right. It's good. Good. really to nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for good questions. Thank you. Thanks for good
0: answer. All right, that was Colonel's This Week. Thanks a bunch for listening and um, we'll see you in another week or two. In the meantime, do please get in touch. You know, if you want to tweet us or Instagram us or tweet me, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys and it's not going to be howling into the beyond or howling into the void. You know, we'll get back to you and it'll be good to hear your thoughts on the podcast and any suggestions you might have for future episodes and future guests. All right, catch you soon. Thanks.